0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for worship of our praying God. A special welcome to all the visitors who have also joined us here in church or online. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and also by the sacrament of Holy Baptism. And may God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistency has the following announcement. The of Deacons will meet tomorrow evening at 8 o'clock. And this morning, the worship service will be led by Reverend Newland from our sister church in Armidale. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together Let us rise to worship the Lord. As congregation, we confess our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Receive now the greeting of the Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Congregation, let us... Praise God by singing together from Psalm 122, stanzas 1, 2 and 3. As God's covenant people, let us now submit our hearts and lives to the discipline of God's holy law. Let us examine our lives in light of that law to see our sin and misery, but also to see the way of life that God calls us to as his redeemed children. And after listening to the Ten Commandments, let us sing in confession and response from Psalm 39, stanzas 4, 5 and 6. Psalm 39, stanzas 4, 5 and 6 after the Ten Commandments. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work the seventh day is the sabbath of the to the lord your god on it you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates for in six days the lord made heaven and earth the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day therefore the lord blessed the sabbath day or anything that is your neighbor's. sacrament of Holy Holy Baptism has been requested by Brother and Sister Oakley and Chiara de Snu for their child Noel Page. Let us therefore read together the form for baptism as we can find that in our books of praise beginning on page 597. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ the doctrine of holy baptism is summarized as follows. First we and our children are conceived and born in sin and are therefore by nature children of wrath so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. This is what the immersion in or sprinkling with water teaches us. It signifies the impurity of our souls so that we may detest ourselves, humble ourselves before God, and seek our cleansing and salvation outside of ourselves. Second, baptism signifies and seals to us the washing away of our sins through Jesus Christ. We are therefore baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we are baptized into the name of the Father, God the Father testifies and seals to us That he establishes an eternal covenant of grace with us. He adopts us for his children and heirs. And promises to provide us with all good and avert all evil or turn it to our benefit. When we are baptized into the name of the Son. God the Son promises us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins. And unites us with him in his death and resurrection. Thus we are freed from our sins and accounted righteous before God. When we are baptized into the name of the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit assures us by this sacrament that he will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ, imparting to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives, till we shall finally be presented without blemish among the assembly of God's elect in life eternal. Third, since every covenant contains two parts, a promise and an obligation, we are through baptism called and obliged by the Lord to a new obedience. We are to cleave to this one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to, love, to trust him and to love him with our whole heart, soul, and mind, and with all our strength. We must not love the world, but put off our old nature and lead a God-fearing life. And if we sometimes through weakness fall into sins, we must not despair of God's mercy nor continue in sin. Baptism is a seal and trustworthy testimony that we have an eternal covenant with God. Although our children do not understand all this, we may not therefore exclude them from baptism. Just as they share without their knowledge in the condemnation of Adam, so are they without their knowledge received into grace in Christ. For the Lord spoke to Abraham, the father of all believers, and thus also speaks to us and our children, saying, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Peter also testifies to this when he says, For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Therefore, in the old dispensation, God commanded that infants be circumcised. The circumcision was a seal of the covenant and of the righteousness of faith. Christ also took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. In the new dispensation, baptism has replaced circumcision. Therefore, infants must be baptized as heirs of the kingdom of God and of his covenant. And as they grow up, their parents have the duty to instruct them in these things. In order that we may now administer this holy sacrament of God to his glory, for our comfort and to the upbuilding of the congregation, let us call upon his holy name. Let's pray. Almighty eternal God, in your righteous judgment you punished the unbelieving and unrepentant world with the flood but in your great mercy saved and protected the believer Noah and his family. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his host in the Red Sea, but led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground, by which baptism was signified. We therefore pray that you in your infinite mercy will graciously look upon this, your child, and incorporate her by your Holy Spirit into your Son, Jesus Christ, so that she may be buried with him by baptism into death. And raised with him to walk in newness of life. We pray that she following him day by day may joyfully bear her cross. And cleave to him in true faith, firm hope and ardent love. Grant that she comforted in you may leave this life which is no more than a constant death. And at the last day may appear without terror before the judge and seat of Christ your son. All this we ask through him. Our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who with you and the Holy Spirit, one only God, lives and reigns forever. Amen. I ask the parents to rise. Beloved in Christ the Lord, you've heard that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord our God to seal to us and our children his covenant. We must therefore use this sacrament for that purpose and not out of custom or superstition. That it may be clear then that you desire baptism for the right purpose, you are to answer sincerely the following questions. First, do you confess that our children, though conceived and born in sin and therefore subject to all sorts of misery, even condemnation, are sanctified in Christ and thus as members of his church ought to be baptised? Second, do you confess that the doctrine of the Old and New Testament, summarized in the confessions and taught here in this Christian church, is the true and complete doctrine of salvation? And third, do you promise as father and mother to instruct your child in this doctrine as soon as she is able to understand and to have her instructed therein to the utmost of your power? What is your answer, Brother Disney? Okay. Sister Desnay? After the administration of baptism, let us rise and sing together Psalm 12, stanza 4. Noel, Paige, new, I baptize you into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let us give thanks and also pray for a blessing over the preaching of the gospel. Almighty, merciful God and Father, we thank and praise you that you have forgiven us and our children all our sins through the blood of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. You received us through your Holy Spirit as members of your only begotten Son and so adopted us to be your children. You sealed and confirmed this to us by holy baptism. We pray through your beloved Son that you will always govern this child by your Holy Spirit, that she may be nurtured in the Christian faith and in godliness, and may grow and increase in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that she thus may acknowledge your fatherly goodness and mercy, which you have shown to her and to us all. May she live in all righteousness under our only teacher, king, and high priest, Jesus Christ and valiantly fight against and overcome sin, the devil and his whole dominion. May she forever praise and magnify you and your Son, Jesus Christ, together with the Holy Spirit, the one only, true God. And Father, we thank you for the comfort that we all receive from the sign of baptism, the washing away of sins. As we listen to your law, we are reminded again that we do not stand, in our worthiness, in our relationship with you. We see our faults, our sins, our rebellion, our shortcomings. You've given us ten simple, clear commands. And our lives are testimony to how many different ways these commands can be broken. And Lord, we humble ourselves before you. And we ask that you will continue to receive us in grace for Christ's sake, that you will continue to cover our sins as you have promised And grant to you, O Lord, that we may be encouraged by the preaching of the gospel today. Bless us as we listen to your word read, and as we listen to your word explained and proclaimed. Strengthen me to do that clearly and faithfully, and grant that we may take it in, that we may meditate on what we hear, that we may go to work with it in a life of service. Hear our prayer in Christ's name alone. Amen. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, this morning our scripture reading comes from two passages. First of all, from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 19 to 31. And then we're going to read from 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, verse 1 to 23. So first of all, John, chapter 20... We start in our passage on the day of the resurrection, so Easter Sunday, John 20 verse 19. On the evening of that day... The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven you. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. We turn now to the letter first letter to the corinthians the apostle paul works out the significance of the resurrection first corinthians chapter 15 and we'll read the first 23 verses first corinthians 15 verse 1 Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles. I'm worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God. Prepare to listen to God's word proclaimed. Let us sing together from Psalm 123, stanza 1. for this morning's preaching of the gospel is those words we read from John 10. I'll read them again. Sorry, John 20. John 20, the verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. After the preaching of the gospel, our Amen song is hymn 52, stanzas 1, 2 and 5. Hymn 52, stanzas 1, 2 and 5 after the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The phrase, doubting Thomas, comes from this text. Thomas, who expressed so strongly his refusal to believe the message of the disciples, the other disciples. And in our text, Thomas goes from, from unbelief to a confession of faith, when he says to Jesus, My Lord and my God. And so the question is how do we apply this? How do we work with this living so many centuries later? People still today struggle with doubts. Christians wrestle with doubts sometimes. Am I really saved? How can I be sure? How do I know? How do I know that the Bible is true? There's other religions with holy books. They claim theirs is right. How do we know this one is the truth? Sometimes those questions, those doubts, are hard to talk about. They get us very low. Is Thomas an example for us? And we have to overcome doubts like him to come to the good confession, my Lord and my God, The problem is, Jesus, he came to Thomas. He revealed himself, stood in front of him. But he doesn't do that to us. If we doubt, is this all true? Is is there really Jesus Christ alive today? Jesus doesn't come to us. We We seem poorer. And so is there an example in our text? Yes, there is certainly an example inasmuch as as Thomas exhibits human weakness, human sin. But for our text to properly help us, also when it comes to dealing with doubts today, we need to consider the work that our our Saviour did in that particular time of, of redemptive history. And in that way, Thomas is not like us. He had a special place. And what happened to him in his special place has been recorded for our benefit today. And so I'm going to proclaim to you the message of this text under this theme. The risen Lord Jesus Christ reveals himself to Thomas with a view to gathering his one Catholic and apostolic church. We're going to see three things. First of all, the need for this revelation Secondly, the response to this revelation. And finally, the blessedness in believing this revelation. The risen Lord Jesus Christ reveals himself to Thomas with a view to gathering his one Catholic and apostolic church. We'll see the need for this revelation, the response to this revelation. And finally, the blessedness in believing this revelation. Now we're told at the beginning of the text Thomas wasn't with them when Jesus came. We're not told why. For what reason he wasn't there when Jesus appeared to them on the day of his resurrection. But Thomas was certainly not left in the dark about what had happened. The other disciples told him. They said, we have seen the Lord. It was a message that that they had to pass on to share with him. And then Thomas comes with that response for which he has forever been remembered. He's so emphatic. I will never believe. He knows where he stands. He says there's got to be some very clear requirements that are met before I believe. Unless that happens, I will never believe. What exactly was he refusing to believe? Firstly, of course, what the disciples were were telling him. We've seen the Lord. He's alive. But his doubts might very well have been deeper too. They've been following Jesus as someone who was doing great things. And you expect a lot and, and then he ends up on a cross, dead. Possibly the crucifixion disillusioned him. And because he had doubts, he, he demanded evidence. I should be able to see the holes in his hands, in his side. If he really has, having died, come back to life. In congregation, we need to take good note of the significance of Thomas's unbelief, or specifically his. I want you to draw your attention to, to something that, The first verse says, and it's easy to pass over, but it's an important thing. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them. Notice it says one of the twelve. And that's a phrase, the twelve, that points to them being a group. I think of earlier in the Gospel of John, John chapter 6, verse 70, But Jesus is speaking to his disciples, Did I not choose you the 12? He speaks about them as a group, the 12 that he chose for a particular task. And at the time of our text, and you think about this, I think boys and girls should be able to answer that as well. How many disciples were there of Jesus at this time? There were only 11. Judas was dead. And yet they are still called the 12. They're a group. There's one missing, yes. He still has to be replaced. But they're still talked about as the 12. Thomas, one of the 12, was not with them. Thomas not being there meant one of the group, of those disciples who were still alive, was missing. It's that group, the 12, that is significant. They were the ones, according to Mark 3, It had been prepared by Jesus Christ to proclaim the gospel. Then he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he might send them out to preach. And so they were the twelve who were first sent to Israel Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but after the resurrection who would be sent to all the nations of the earth. To, and what were they to do? They were the twelve who were sent to, to gather in the church. And the Lord Jesus Christ wasn't going to be building many churches, but he was going to be building one church. You think of how he responded to the confession Of Peter, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he said, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. One church the Lord Jesus was going to build. He was going to use the twelve to build one church. Yes, the church was going to be spread all over the world from all different nations. But it would be one church. It was that group, the twelve, that would gather together this one worldwide, or to use that other word, that one Catholic church. Ephesians chapter 2, we, we read that the, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the twelve. The New Jerusalem, we read in Revelation 21, verse 14, has the name of the apostles come back there, Revelation 21, verse Verse 14. And the wall of the city, the New Jerusalem, had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. That church that the Lord Jesus Christ was going to build is founded on the teaching of the, the 12. And because the church had to be built on the foundation of the apostles, there must be no division among them. The foundation of the church would be cracked. If some of the apostles said, Jesus Christ has come back to life. Yes, he did great things, but he, he died and he came back to life. And, then, and one of the, the twelve would go out with the message. Yes, he did great things during his life. He was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, but put to death by the Jews. He's dead. I can't believe that he's alive again. Imagine. If that's the, the message that would go out, the unity, the oneness of the church depends on the, the oneness of the witness of those who would gather in the church. And just think about how, how essential that doctrine of the resurrection would be. Our justification. That we know that we are declared right before God, that our sins are taken away. Our justification is dependent on the reality of the resurrection. Because Jesus Christ was put in the grave. Why? Because he had your sins and my sins on him. And if we can't be sure that he's come out of the grave, how do we know that the full payment down to the last cent, as it were, has been paid? His resurrection shows it's finished. The full payment has been done. Your justification is dependent on the reality of the resurrection. And that's true too for your sanctification. And sanctification is that process by which we are made increasingly holy. The Apostle Paul makes so clear in the New Testament that that the power which raised up Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that is at work in you to change you. And you know how hard it can be to fight sin and how strong sin can pull. But to know that just as that mighty power raised Christ from the dead, that's the power that's going to give you the strength to fight sin. If he didn't rise, how can you be sure that you'll have the power you need to fight sin? Do you see what's at stake if we can't be sure about the resurrection? Apostle Paul is working that out in, in 1 Corinthians 15, how... How crucial the resurrection is. The people that were denying that there was going to be a a resurrection from the dead one day. That once you're dead, that's it. the Apostle Paul really labours hard in that chapter. It's probably his longest chapter to, to work that out. He said, if there is no resurrection of the dead, as some were saying, then then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, he says, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He says, you are still in your sins. And also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Jesus didn't rise, what's the point of being church, preaching, looking forward? No justification, you can't be sure. The believers are still in their sins, there's no comfort in death. If if we can't be sure that Christ rose, after all our resurrection, we say we're going to be raised up like Christ. And so, congregation, brothers and sisters, do you hear something of the great significance of these words of Thomas now? Unless I see, I will not believe. It won't be a one Catholic apostolic church. The church would be divided. If some could say, We are of Thomas, we're the skeptics, we're those who can't be sure he's risen. And others would say, we are of the other apostles who saw him. We're with them. See then, the risen Lord's care for his church. For Thomas, yes. You see the Lord Jesus' great care for him, struggling sheep. But also for his church throughout the ages. Thomas must believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So that the church that the disciples would gather would be united in the one doctrine. The congregation see this too. When the Lord Jesus, shortly before he was put to death, he had that high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed for his disciples. And what did he pray for? He said, grant that they may be one. And here we have division amongst the disciples when it comes to the testimony of what Jesus Christ had done. And Jesus Christ comes to work on that unity, that they may be one. He's working for that unity, which means too, because as the Lord Jesus goes on further on in that prayer that high priestly prays as I also pray for those who will believe through their words through the preaching of the, the apostles that they may be one you see the Lord Jesus then care in our text also for you, his church today that you might be united in the one apostolic doctrine on that foundation and then note too when our Lord Jesus Christ appeared to Thomas Eight days after the appearance to the rest of the apostles. Eight days later. That's how long it took for him to come back to overcome Thomas's doubts and unbelief. And considering how serious it was, you think, why wasn't it much sooner? But the note when he did... Eight days, by the Jewish way of counting, you, you know three days after Good Friday is Easter Sunday. And our counting, three days after Friday is Monday. You know, tomorrow's day one, next day, day two. But for the Jews, they start counting with the day they're on. So Good Friday was day one, Saturday was day two, Easter Sunday was day three, he rose on the third day. So eight days later after the Easter Sunday is going to be the following Sunday. Counting like the Jews. For the second time. The Lord came to meet the twelve. On the Sunday. The day of the resurrection. The Sunday was being honoured by our Lord. As the day of meeting with his disciples. The day in which he was sharing with his disciples. The the riches of the resurrection. One of the reasons. The church has always honoured the Sunday as the day of worship. Jesus drew special attention to that day for his church work. And so he comes. And as before, closed doors presented no barrier to the risen body of the Lord. He comes to the place where they were. Came and stood among them. And he said to them, peace be with you. Congregation, what a greeting that was. Peace be with you, shalom. And that was a more common, ordinary greeting that the Jews would use. They would greet each other with shalom, peace. But then think of the context and how much richer that, that peace had become. By his death. The Lord Jesus Christ had secured eternal salvation for the people of God, everlasting peace. And then he comes and he says, Peace to you. And that's also beautiful when you consider that that's a blessing that still comes to us Sunday by Sunday in the greeting from the pulpit. Grace to you and peace. What a thing that Sunday after Sunday you have. Proclaimed to you, distributed to you, the blessings of the Lord Jesus and his work. You are the ones to whom our Lord has brought peace. That's why you need the Sunday worship week after week as you deal with the cares, the struggles of this life. To hear those words from your Saviour. Peace to you. So the Lord Jesus came to the twelve, to Thomas 2. And in the second point, let's pay attention to the response to this revelation. And notice how our Lord Jesus Christ offered the exact proof that Thomas was looking for. Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side, the Lord Jesus said. You see our Saviour accommodating himself to the weakness of this sinful struggling disciple. And so he calls Thomas away from his unbelief. Don't but disbelieve, but believe. And then Thomas no longer saw the need for such strong proof. His eyes saw enough. Instead, he comes with a beautiful confession Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. His doubts had indeed been taken away. And notice he spoke about Christ as, My Lord. My Master. Thomas is confessing submission to his Master. You could say he's taking his place again as one of the twelve. You're my Master. But then he also brought the confession of the twelve a step further. When the disciples told him, they said, We have seen the Lord. In other words, Jesus Christ is alive again. But Thomas says more than them. As someone wrote about this, In this way, the last became first. He was the last to confess that the Lord Jesus had risen. But he's the first to take that confession further. If Jesus has risen, then clearly he is also my God, my Lord and my God. Think of how the Apostle Paul puts it in Romans chapter 1 verse 4. About the Lord Jesus Christ and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. It's the resurrection that teaches so clearly that Jesus Christ is God. You think of even how he put it himself in John chapter 10. I lay down my life and I take it up again. Other people in history, we think of that even with Anzac Day, they lay down their life. But nobody else can then take their life up again. But the Lord Jesus, he laid down his life and he took it up again, demonstrating divine power, power over death. The beginning of John. John writes, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And he said further on in that chapter, we have beheld his glory. There's Thomas and he sees the Lord Jesus Christ and he's come back to life. And what does he say? My Lord and My God beholds his glory. And so congregation, the one Catholic apostolic church, not only confesses the united confession about the resurrection of the Lord, but also confesses together that the Lord Jesus Christ, true man, is at the same time true God. Later on in church history, the heretic Arius, Denied that Jesus Christ was true God. He might have been a very, very important creature. The first of all creatures. Maybe you can call him God in certain senses. A God or whatever. But he's not God like the Father is God. And Thomas's confession in the time of that struggle against the errors of Arius. Thomas's confession about the Lord Jesus. My Lord and my God was an important scriptural basis for defending that truth. See, another consequence of confessing the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's proof of the divinity of your Saviour, that He is mighty God. But what now about us, brothers and sisters? How do we work with this? Those to whom the Lord Jesus Christ does not appear, if we struggle with doubts about the truth of this book, including the truth that there, Jesus Christ really did come back from the dead, how do we work with this? That brings us to our third point the blessedness in believing this revelation. Did you notice that the Lord Jesus Christ talked about us in our text? Verse 29 blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then he's talking about the people who wouldn't see Jesus Christ and yet would believe, and that's you and me. It's all the members of the one Catholic and apostolic church throughout the ages. Jesus says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And you see, the Lord Jesus makes a contrast between believing when you see and believing without seeing. And inasmuch as the Lord Jesus makes a contrast, there is a a gentle rebuke for Thomas. But it's only gentle because the Lord Jesus does not say Those who believe without seeing are more blessed. He just says they are blessed. But our Lord does commend the faith, which does not ask for signs, but accepts the word. That's the only way that that we can know that he rose from the dead through the written word, through what was inscribed. And as we read, In verse 31, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. In this way, Jesus teaches us in our text what faith is. To accept the written revelation about the resurrection. To accept what's been written down in the gospels that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. You could say it more broadly. Faith is to accept all that is written in this word. Without necessarily seeing, but to to believe what the Lord has said. That's faith. And I think too, also for brother and sister to know, That's what you want also your, your daughter to do. To grow up, to believe in Jesus Christ. To believe that he rose from the dead and all the riches that come from that. And then it's a blessing too that we get the the sign of the covenant. And that's something that we've all received and shared in. But we get the sign of the covenant that testifies to us that, that we are part of the people of God. The church of Jesus Christ who he cares for that they believe. But then he also gives the word. The written revelation. To, so that we come to that faith, so that we grow in that faith. And that's also why as dad and mum, you promised this morning that you were going to teach your daughter. Teach her about God and what God has revealed in his word. Because that's the way that she too will come to know that he is risen. In congregation, what are we believing when we believe the written revelation that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we are believing the testimony of the apostles who saw with their own eyes that Jesus had risen from the dead. You might say their eyewitness account confirms us in our faith. And all the more when you see that it wasn't the truth that they were looking for as it were. They weren't just looking for the evidence that he had risen. On the day of the resurrection, they were all in gloom. They thought it had all come to an end. And when the women came and said, we've been told he's risen, they thought it was nonsense. And the Lord Jesus had to work really hard to to bring them all to that confession. But in the end, they were all brought there. They all believed. And Jesus, by overcoming their unbelief, And that's all been written down. That's for our convincing to make us sure. And they present a united testimony. We don't get a separate letter from Thomas. I'm sorry, there's no proof. We can't be sure. No, instead we get from Thomas the confession. My Lord and my God. And so see congregation, our Lord's care for his apostolic church also as it is gathered here in our midst today why can you living in the brokenness of this sinful life, why can you be so sure that your sins that you are bothered about are paid for because Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it really happened it's indisputable why can we be sure that we will be given the strength to live a new life more and more Because the testimony is sure and certain. He rose from the dead. Great power was at work. But also realize that for us today, unbelief is more serious. The Lord overcame the unbelief at that time to establish the truth of the resurrection for the church. For us to refuse to believe in Jesus Christ today. That he is the son of God who rose from the dead for our salvation. To refuse to believe that there's new power in him. That's serious. Redemptive history has moved on. The Lord Jesus overcame the doubts of the 12. So that they could record it for our benefit. We have all we need to believe. And we can work that out a little bit more. Because also refusing to break with a life of sin... Refusing to walk in the power that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to his people. That amounts to refusing to believe in the resurrection. That's serious. If we cling to sin and refuse to break with it. That amounts to denying the power that the Lord Jesus gives you through his resurrection. And yes, sometimes we can also struggle with with doubts. And those doubts can be very deep and we even feel scared to voice them. Everybody else around us maybe seems to believe and we doubt, we struggle. And that can be hard. But there's only one way forward, brothers and sisters, when we have those doubts. And that's to cling to the written word, to go back to that word, that word that's a light to our path. That word that works regeneration, that opens our eyes more and more. Cling to that word. That's how the Lord would strengthen his people in the confession of their faith. And then trust. That beatitude that the Lord Jesus gave. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's such great blessing for you in simply accepting what this says. He did rise. So you've got the comfort, that's part of the blessing of the forgiveness of all your sins. That you'll get the strength to fight sin. That your saviour is not just man but also true God. That he's your Lord. These are the blessings that come to you when you accept what this says. The Lord Jesus Christ cares so deeply for his church. For whom he laid down his life. That's why he comes every Sunday to you with words of peace. With the proclamation of his gospel. So that you might believe And keep believing. And be blessed for that. Therefore believe the gospel of Christ's resurrection. Christ cares that you do. That's why he revealed himself to Thomas. For the sake of your salvation. So that you might believe and be truly blessed. That you might be living members of his one, holy, catholic and apostolic church. Amen. In our prayer this morning, we will pray for Isa Rapley, who is scheduled to have back surgery tomorrow. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your gifts, for the amazing gospel of Christ's resurrection, for the salvation that you give us through your Son, whom you sent to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you that your word so clearly reveals that he did not remain in the grave, but that he was raised up, that he himself rose. We praise you that your son so ensured that the apostolic church is left with no doubts about the resurrection. How rich you have made us, O Lord, with the gospel that our Lord Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and all the riches of salvation that flow to us. May we all with one accord embrace the apostolic testimony in faith. Firmly believing, he did rise. May we so be comforted in all the struggles and difficulties of our life by this message. Whenever we have doubts, grant that we may overcome them by going to your word. Pray too that we may all live out of the resurrection, comforted when we are brought low by guilt, fleeing to his finished work to pay. Grant that we may also live out of the resurrection in our struggle against sin. We may put to death the old nature. And live the life of the new nature. Grant too that as we become older and draw nearer to the end of our life. That Christ's resurrection may comfort us knowing his resurrection is a first fruits. And that we too will one day be raised with him. We pray too that the gospel of the risen Lord might be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. May the gathering in of the one holy catholic and apostolic church continue. And grant that as your people we may remain faithful to the apostolic faith. May we all study your word so that as church we may continue to confess your word in its entirety, firmly holding on to the faith as it's been handed down to us. Bless us in our families, that our families may be places where the next generation is taught how to live as covenant people, where you are honoured and served and your word regularly open and explained. Bless the dads as they lead their families and teach them in your ways. That they may receive strength and insight from you. Bless the mums as they work together with their husbands in this. And strengthen them to train their children. Bless husbands and wives as they serve you in their marriages. Bless the relation between parents and children. That as children we may love, honour, respect and obey our parents. Continue to gather your church through the generations. Grant that we may also see childbearing and rearing in that light as the way in which you do gather your church through the generations. Be with us each in our particular circumstances. You know our needs, our concerns, our sorrows, our joys. pray too for those who receive medical care. Bless the care that they receive. We think specifically of Issa Rapley, who will be having back surgery tomorrow. Guide the hands of the medical staff. Keep Isa in your care. Grant the desired outcome and a good recovery. Be near to her and her husband at this time, that they may continue to put their trust in you. We thank you that you draw them to yourself and pray that you would also work through this for their good. Grant that for all of us, as we experience difficulties, that we may see your hand always at work with us, shaping us to be conformed to the image of your Son more and more. We pray for the work of under his wings, as we will collect for that in this service. Lord, grant that through the love that we show in our offerings, this work may continue. That those in need, in vulnerable situations in our community may be cared for and supported. And that they may come to know our Lord Jesus Christ and the riches that there are in him. Will you bless the work of the board, bless the staff, bless the volunteers. That this work may continue well to your honor and glory. Lord, we Also remember before you the upcoming Anzac commemoration this week. And Lord, we acknowledge and give praise to you for what we receive. Living in a free country. In prosperity. What you have given also through those who have given their lives fighting in wars. To protect that freedom. And Lord, we pray that we may continue to see your hand in this. Also, as we remember these sacrifices on Tuesday. And Lord, grant that our society around us may not use freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but that they may realize that this too is a gift from you to be given thanks for to you. The people in our land may come to know you And serve you. Lord we pray that you would bless us throughout this day. Be with us as we go from here. Give us a joyful day in your service. Keep us from sin and evil. Bring us back again this afternoon. To once more submit to the preaching of your word. In Jesus name we pray all this. Amen. You now have opportunity to bring your offerings for the ministry of mercy. For under his wings. And after that, let us rise and sing together our final song, Psalm 84, stanza 6. lift up our hearts to the Lord, receive his blessing and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.